Our scripture reading today is from Ephesians 1, 4 through 5 from the Living Bible. Long ago, even before he made the world, God chose us to be his very own through what Christ would do for us. He decided then to make us holy in his eyes without a single fault. We who stand before him covered with his love. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And he did this because he wanted to. Good morning, church. Open your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 8. To all of you gentlemen who have the privilege of being a part of the Father tribe, I want to wish you happy Father's Day, and God has privileged me to get to be a part of that tribe with you, and uh, just grateful that uh, you could be here with us today, and I hope this message resonates with you, and then also with the children that you're hoping to lead. Um, I don't know about you, but there have been things in my life that I have struggled to lead in, and one of them has been um, helping my children know how to share their faith. You think, well, you're a preacher, that'll be pretty easy. No, it's not. I don't think it's easy for any dad to want to, uh, uh, to, want to sometimes and even to be able to, to teach them uh, how to share their faith. Maybe you feel a little bit like this. Are we on here? Let me, yeah, now, now we're on my bad. That's kind of how I feel when it comes to teaching my kids about how to share their faith. Well, uh, your elders understand that as well. And so one of the things we want to make very, very clear is that we want to be a huge help in you not feeling so much like that, dads. Um, you may notice that we don't have the banner up today because we completed our Home Depot series last week. But we ended that with, in case you weren't here, uh, handing out these gift cards. And they're, they're called gift cards not so much because of um, what they'll purchase, but because of what's been purchased for you. And that is Jesus Christ has made you his child. And, and if you don't do anything else, we put this on your refrigerator for a year and uh, just be reminded on an occasion that, um, wow, I've been gifted like um, no one ever should be. But we have. And uh, in this home, we're going to celebrate that gift. But if you want to be about truly making that home discipleship central, including teaching your kids how to be disciples, one of the best ways to do that is on the back of that card uh, in a little gathering of intentional ways of loving people called bless it's really not a method really not a program uh, you begin with prayer when you have someone that God's brought into your nearbyness uh, we've been talking specifically about our nearbys or our neighbors as that word is used in English right across the street from us to the left and to the right of us truly loving our neighbor as we love ourselves and we're we're asking our church to get comfortable with to learn how to love your neighbor specifically right where you are Begin with prayer, listen to them well, eat with them when you can, serve them when God brings into eye shot or ear shot something that you can serve them in, and then lastly, hopefully, by doing those, you'll have a chance to share your story with how Jesus has changed your life. Don't have to know great apologetics, don't have to be a great speaker uh, or a great debater, just be someone who doesn't mind testifying about how, how wonderful it is to have Jesus as your Savior. That's what your elders are hoping that uh, we will do as a church. Um, that's why it's a part of our mission steps. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into an extraordinary relationship with Jesus. That's our aim. And how we hope to accomplish that is with a couple of mission steps. And that is by loving God with all our heart and truly loving our neighbors 
as ourselves. And that begins with those right next door to us. So that's what we have been doing over the last couple of months is seeing how our homes truly are Discipleship Central, and we've wrapped that up. But if you haven't picked up this card, I just want to let you know we've got a few more left. We're uh, doing these one, as a, one per family. And so there's several left back out on the Welcome Center. I think there's about 30 out there. And so if you didn't pick one up, uh, please avail yourself to do that. But happy Father's Day. And glad you guys uh, had a chance to be here today. I had some interesting words that my dad shared with me that I'm not sure any son is ever prepared for. And uh, they were this. Do you think it's okay if I start dating again? <laughs> I'm sitting in my, my dad's pickup there in front of our house. He's 72 years old. Never thought I would hear those words. Especially asking permission, uh, asking what I thought about my dad dating again. Some of you may know that my uh, stepmother died uh, about 18 months ago. Uh, she had a very difficult last two years. Uh, most of that was on dialysis. And my dad was her primary caregiver. And so he served and served as carefully, not dutifully, I mean as carefully and lovingly as I think any man could. And so I just want to say on this Father's Day, remembering that just fills me with love and respect for probably one of the greatest men that I've ever known. I really do love my dad, but I was so surprised when he said, do you think it's okay if I start dating again? Well, that's nothing compared to the words that I heard on Tuesday. On Tuesday, he calls me from Las Vegas, Nevada, the Elvis Chapel and says could Jane and I have your blessing to get married and I said dad you hound dog you little hound dog really he said really he, they were there on the bowling tournament and he said 12 of our friends are here and we thought why not go ahead and just tie the knot here I thought well when in Vegas <laughs> so that's what's going on my dad decided he wanted to give himself a Father's Day present didn't wait on any of us and uh, he and Jane Cherry, oh, I wanted to show you, there they are uh, <laughs> at the chapel. And uh, they are, yeah, I'll go ahead and applaud, that would be great, I'll tell them you did so. But Jane's a super lady, and uh, we're glad to welcome her to the Sportsman Tribe. It is no wonder that of all the names that God desired to be called by his church, he would use the name Father. Called by a lot of different names throughout Scripture. But in the New Testament, the way Jesus addressed him most was his Father. He called God Father over 200 times in the Gospels. The first time he spoke, as recorded in Scripture, it was about his Father. He says um, in Luke chapter 2 and verse 49, Didn't you know that I had to be about my Father's house? last words that he spoke, Luke 23 and verse 46, was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So throughout those two parentheses, over 156 times, just in John, the term of endearment, the term in which Jesus addressed his God was Father. And Jesus was once asked, would you teach us to pray? And interestingly enough, he started that prayer with our Father. And I'd like for you to pray that prayer with me right now, if you don't mind. I'm going to put the words up on the screen if you don't know them. But let's go ahead, and you know that normally at the beginning of my lessons, I invite us to pray uh, with me. Usually I'm leading that, but today we're going to say that together. And all across the globe today, 
This prayer is being prayed by many, many, millions of disciples. And so I just want you to remember that as you say these words with me. Here we go. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That prayer is in the Bible because the disciple said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And what I find interesting is, is there's nowhere in the Bible the disciples asked him, would you teach us to walk on water? <laughs> I wanted to know that one. Would you teach us how to raise the dead? Nor is it, would you teach us how to preach? Interestingly, those close to Jesus who could have asked him anything wanted to know how to pray. And wouldn't you like to live your life in such a fashion that someone might say to you, Caroline, would you mind teaching me how to pray? Scott, would you teach me how to pray? Ben, would you teach me how to pray? I'd love to hear someone say, Jimmy, I've been listening, I've been watching. Would you teach me how to pray? Notice when Jesus instructs the disciples on prayer, you might say he said nothing about how to pray in regards to technique anyways. Nothing about positions of hands or knees or face or standing or sitting. Nothing about where you pray on a mountaintop in a sanctuary. He didn't say about what time we're supposed to pray or how long to pray. He simply prayed. And in the prayer, he reveals God's nature as a father who is in heaven. As the father who is bringing a kingdom, yes. As a father who has authority over our sins, yes. As a father who can bring daily bread, yes. As a father who can lead you out of temptation, yes. As a father who can help you face your enemies, yes. As a father who deserves all glory and all praise. But please note all of that as a father. A father. He begins his prayer with actually the Aramaic or Hebrew word Abba. Larry alluded to this a few moments ago when he talked about Romans chapter 8 and a section of scripture there that uses this word Abba in it. Our English word is where we derive the word, this is a word that we derive our English word father from. I'm going to read to you this morning from New Testament scholar Joachim Jeremias. And he writes about this very first and very unique phrase found in the history of Israelite people. He says, with the help of my assistants, I have examined the prayer literature of ancient Judaism. With the help of my assistants, they have helped me to see the result. Oh, I got glossed here in my notes. Let me read this. The result of this examination was that in no place in this immense literature is the invocation of God as Abba to be found. I thought that was interesting. Yet Jesus used this monosyllabic language that's often used by a small child learning to talk. Now, you may not be familiar with that word monosyllabic, but you've, you've heard it used before. It's when a child calls a bottle a baba, or when a child calls a kitty a kiki, or when a child calls a mother a mama. That's monosyllabic language, and Jesus used that when he referred to his God, his Abba. And Jesus often refers to him. As a matter of fact, there's only one time in all of his references to Abba that he doesn't refer to his God as Abba. 
It's when he's on the cross and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All other times that he references God, he references him as Father or Abba. And then he invites the disciples. Here's how I want you to refer to him. I want you to use this term of endearment. I want you to use this term of closeness, of family. I want you to call your God our Abba. I don't know how that hits you. But man, it strikes me. It's not just someone to be revered. Not, not someone, as we sung today, who's just majestic and on high. But someone who, Larry alluded to this also, who's got a son who's our brother. And he's our father. It literally means Papa. Or we would probably use the term of endearment, Daddy. And that feels a little bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? But that's, that's the closeness, that's the intimacy that, that Jesus invites us to talk to God with. Now, I use this in the present tense because it's the same kind of sound that you probably would hear still on the streets of Israel today. A buddy of mine who visited the Holy Land not too long ago was talking to me about walking outside the great Joppa Gate on a busy afternoon. The place was packed with tourists and citizens alike. And he only noticed that a small child was close to him because he heard a small child crying, Abba, Abba. And very close to one of their tours, a little three, four-year-old girl was, was by herself, but not long. Because what must have been, he assumed, was her Abba, who was a Jew dressed in the standard cultural Hasidic Jew, black curls, all that stuff, hat, rushed to her side. He said he, he knelt down and he whispered something in her ear. And I don't know, something like, probably stay close to us, or don't get lost. And then he watched as he guided her over to the street. The little girl was anxious to cross the traffic, he said. But Dad, Abba, held her back. They walked on through the light and across the street. And when they finally got across and reached the other side, Abba reached down, picked her up, and carried her, I don't know where, he said, but away. I recorded that and wrote it down in my, my notes about God as Father and God as Abba because that's who he is. What does an Abba do? <laughs> he hears us when we cry. He holds our hand. He gives us words of exhortation. Sometimes he gives us words of correction. He leads us. And when we step too quickly into dangerous intersections, it's his job to pull us back. He walks us through difficult circumstances. And there are occasions when our Abba, for no other reason than that he loves us, picks us up and holds us. So let me pause for a second and just ask a question. Would you let God be your Abba? Would you? Just for a moment, I want you to remember, you're not too old, you're not too strong, you're not too successful to ever address God or think of God or know God as Abba. Because you never outgrowed your need for an Abba. Never. You were created, I want you to understand, to have an Abba in your life. That's how God wired you. I, for one, think it's a wonderful thing that Jesus calls us servants. Don't mind that at all. He's my Savior. Call me whatever he wants. I don't mind that he calls me soldiers in his army. I don't mind that he calls me minstrels in his great worship assembly. But what could be more wonderful than the simple fact that I'm his brother and God looks at me as his son or daughter? And that's what, we, that's what we mean 
when we pray that word that's on the screen. Abba. Now this happens because God has chosen not to just save us, but here's some exciting news that goes with that, but to adopt us. It would have been blessing enough for God to save us. We never would have complained if he didn't. But that wasn't enough for him. He chose to adopt us when he came and he died on a cross for you and for me. And he does that because he decides justice is not going to dismiss his relationship from us. There's no way in the world he was going to allow that. And so he gave his son for you because he could not dismiss you. And so in the most famous transaction in history, Jesus, the sinless one, takes your sins upon himself and dies for those sins in our place. And all of that satisfies the justice of God. Now that sounds nice and legal, all accountant-like, but then God doesn't stop there. He determines not only am I going to save these people, I'm going to adopt these people. Two passages in Scripture, and Larry had no idea that I was probably going to be reading this, but if he did, I'm glad he did. It kind of set the stage for it. But here in Romans chapter 8, hear the words again. You have received not a spirit of slavery to fear again, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He's going to echo the same thing to the church at Galatia when he says, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption of sons. There's that dynamic duo there. Yes, he, he paid for us. Yes, he purchased us. Yes, he saved us. But he says, I'm not stopping there. I'm adopting them as well. Now, I have to admit, those adoptive parents that are here in the room have a leg up on us when it comes to this. And we have some in this room. If not here present this morning that you've actually adopted children, you've got kids that I know of who have. What a gracious thing to do. What a loving thing to do. And I say that because I've heard of unplanned pregnancies. I've heard of unwanted pregnancies. But I have never heard of an unplanned adoption. Never heard of an unwanted adoption. And I just want to say, if you're an adoptive parent, you know that adoption is intentional. You know that adoption is purposeful. It entails a decision right in front that no matter what, I'm going to take care of this child. I will deal with the necessary legalities that go with it. I will deal with the necessary, deal with the necessary costs that go with it. And friend, I want you to see this morning, that's how God determined to love you. He intentionally and purposefully decided, I don't want to just save them, clean the slate. I want to adopt them. And so he does. He seeks us out and adopts us with great intention and great purpose. He signs the papers and he brings us home. Now, I got a chance to witness this firsthand when I was just a baby preacher in Catula, Texas. Becky and Paul couldn't have children. And so they decided they were going to adopt. And we got to watch the full scope of this just unfold in front of our eyes. I had a front row seat to the drama that unfolded. To them, determining that possibility was, was very, very real. And they had enough money to purchase whatever it was going to cost to pay for legal fees to bring that child into their home. They determined that as best as they could be, they were ready to try to do that. But I watched the roadblocks come. I watched the discouragement in Paul's eyes one day when it just seemed like it wasn't going to happen. But I watched in Becky's eyes that mother determination. It's going to happen. <laughs> and it did. And one day they were able to bring little Casey home. Not many hours after Casey was born. And when they placed her in 
Becky's arms. A smile began, I'm telling you the truth, that you couldn't slap off of them for about a month. We'd see them in the hallway, they were smiling. We'd see them out in the parking lot, they were smiling. I think I could have preached a sermon on eternal damnation and they would have smiled through the whole thing. They were just beaming with joy. And you know why they were happy. A child that they had longed to have in their home came home. But I thought it could have been asked, why? Why adopt a child? They had a good life. They were financially stable. They were happily married. Both had careers that they loved. What did they hope to gain? Did they adopt the baby because they hoped to get a little extra sleep? <laughs> did they adopt a child because it would bring a little extra cash? No. They knew immediately upon bringing that child home, they were going to lose both of those, sleep and cash. So why do you adopt a child? Why do any two people adopt a child? Well, as you're formulating your answer, let me tell you why God adopts children. Paul describes it here in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Long ago before God made the world, God chose us to be his very own. Through what Christ would do for us, he decided then to make us holy in his eyes. Without a single fault, we who would stand before him do so covered in his love. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And, I love this part, he did this because he wanted to. He wanted to. You thought he adopted you because you were so good looking. You thought he adopted you because you had so much money, so much wit, so much intelligence. Wrong. He doesn't need any of that. He adopted you because he loves you. And I know that can sound trite, but it's hugely important to me. His adoption was based on his love for you, not your love for him. Because you know what? That's good news to me because my love gets a little dry every now and then. My love gets a little hit and miss every now and then. My love gets a little bit faulty now and then. And so what Scripture's trying to say is this does not hinge upon your flopsy-mopsy love. It depends and hinges on his steadfast love. And that's great news because his love never fails. It's new every single morning. It's based on that that we can know that this adoption's going to stick. So even when your love's running a little bit thin, you can know this adoption's not going to run thin. It's strong. Because it's not based on your love for him. It's based on his love for you. And I wonder for the longest time, why does it matter that God loves me instead of me loving him? What's the difference? Well, then I got a chance to see me trying to love him. And I'm so glad that it hinges on his love, not mine. Some of you in this room don't have a very long leap for me to talk about God being loving and caring and that's how our Heavenly Father is because you have had the incredible blessing of God's plan in your life to include a father like that. And if you have one of those fathers who's made it easy for you to understand God as Father, I just want to remind you on Father's Day, please be doubly grateful. You get a hold of that phone or whatever you need to do to let that dad know you loving me mattered. Please. Now, the other side of that coin is also true. Some of you are here in this room this morning, and you have a tough assignment when I say, I want you to think of God as Abba, 
daddy, papa. Because there has been a man involved in your life or maybe completely absent in your life. And that's who you've attributed this word father to and you just do not. It could very well be that some of you have never had a father at all. He's always been absent and that's how you see God. Listen, I get that. Because too often how we see our earthly fathers is the filter by which we view our heavenly father. Some of you, God bless you, have had fathers who have inflicted violence on you. You witnessed temper tantrums coming from yours or addiction or anger. And all these years it's been difficult anytime someone like me stands up here in a place like this and says, I'd like for you to call God, Papa, Abba. There's something inside you that says, can't do it. Can't. Because that guy whom you've called father didn't treat you like a father should. Now, I'm not going to say this is easy to do. But I am going to say it this straightforward. You must do this. You must. Because there's a, there's a, a taste of life. There's an experience of life that's on the other side of welcoming God into your life as father. There is. This is not going to be easy. And for some of you, there's no way in the world this could happen unless the power of the Holy Spirit helped you do this. But you've got a Father who will come inside you and help you worship and know Him as Father. That's how much He cares about you. That's how much. Not going to be easy. But please, let God become the paradigm and the picture of what a perfect Father is like and allow Him to help you know Him in that way. Now, if you were not raised by a healthy father, you may have what I believe John Eldridge rightly calls father wounds. You may have some deep hurts because when a father hurts you, it is the deepest, I believe, of almost all wounds because by design, you were meant to have a father in your life. God designed us that way. And so when we don't have that protector and we don't have that provider in our lives, something's missing. And especially when that quote-unquote protector and provider is anything but and is a herder, is someone who damages us. Sometimes that wound can be so deep that there is an anger we live with that just comes out in all of our life and it will never be healed unless you bring that to the Father and allow Him to touch that and to heal that in a way only He can. For some of you, there will always be, because you were left, because you were, you were not loved, this question, this suspicion about any other person who tries to get close to you, because they're going to leave you too. They're going to let you down unless you bring that to the Father, to Abba God, and allow Him to heal that hurt. There's no psychologist, there's no psychiatrist, there's no positive thinker that can heal that. Only the power of the living God can do that. And I know that's not easy for somebody. But please, for your sake and for Jesus' sake, take the risk. Talk to the Father and say, I didn't have a kind Father, but kind Father, will you help me? Help me with this. Compassionate Father, I didn't have a compassionate Dad. Would you help me with this? And he'll respond, maybe not instantly, but you know what? It may be. I want to say that. It's actually happened in my lifetime when, especially women, but also many guys are finding out they have as deep a father wound as any female on the planet. 
And when they take that hurt purposefully to the Father and say, would you help heal this? Sometimes it's instant that he does. Most of the time it's a process. But some of you need to begin that process today by bringing that hurt and that wound to your Heavenly Father. That's what he wants you to do. He calls himself your Abba because he would like to be that for you. And he has done everything necessary to provide for you. He's died for you. He's adopted you. He's purchased you. All you have to do is welcome him into your life. The Bible word that's used is receive. There in Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, the scripture we looked at a few moments ago, it says, you have received a spirit of adoption. He's addressing correctly, as Larry said, a group of Christians and so am I. There are so many of you in here in this room who have received a spirit of adoption. He's going to say to Galatians, the church of Galatia, there are some of you who haven't received that adoption as sons. You may have welcomed God to save you, but listen to me clearly, you've not welcomed him to adopt you, to bring you into the family. Obedient you'll be, yes, but know him? No. No. Because father's attached to that one's name, no. Abba's attached to that name. An Abba like, like none other. And he welcomes you to bring that hurt and he'll turn it into something that's healing. That's what an Abba does. It's not on you though. I'm going to say this again. It's on him. And so that's why lessons like this I believe in your life because he wants to draw one more time. He wants to mention one more time. We can do this. It, it, it's just not on children to be the intentional people, the purposeful people in any adoption, is it? It didn't work that way. No, it's, it's the parents who are the ones who are, are coming after, who are pursuing. And I want you to know this morning, our God's pursuing at least one of you this morning saying, come on, come on. And when we walk into a, 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 an adoption agency as parents, you don't walk in saying, you know, I'd like to get me a child who's um, got a little trust fund of their own. You got any like that here? You got any children here who, who have IQs over 115? I, I want a child with an IQ over 115. Uh, you have any children here who, who just don't get into trouble at all? Well, I'd like one of those, please. Who wouldn't? <laughs> at least we think that. God says, no, I'll take you and you and you. How you doing, butts? And you? And you? I'll take you. Just you. Because before time, I've been dreaming about you being my child and my family. What do you say? What do you say? He's willing to adopt you. The question is, are you willing to receive him? In the years leading up to World War II, there was a tribe in Ethiopia called the Walamo tribe. The Walamos were Satan-worshipping and they were witch-doctor-led. A group of missionaries felt it was God's call in their lives to reach out to them. And many of those that they did reach out to became Christians. One of them whose name was Taijin. Taijin gave his heart to Christ and he trusted that God would be his father. And his world, I'm telling you, changed in an instant. But there was a problem and that was Taijin was a slave. He was owned by somebody. And his owner would not permit him to visit any church. His owner would not allow him to read any Bible. And his owner made a mockery of Taijin's quote-unquote new faith. But that was a price Taijin was willing to pay. One price he could not pay was the $12 that it would take for him to become a free man. 
Now, $12 may not seem like a lot to us now, but 12 bucks back during the times of the World War II was a lot of money. But Raymond Davis, who was one of the missionaries who attempted to reach out to the Walamu tribe, when he heard that Ty Jean could be purchased for $12, he passed the hat among the missionaries there, and they came up with the money. And they bought Ty Jean's freedom. Now, that happened just before the missionaries were forced to leave Ethiopia. And for several reasons, Raymond was prohibited from re-entering that country for many, many years. But Ty Jean went on to lead a productive and powerful and faithful life for Christ. 24 years later, Raymond Davis was invited back. Things happened politically where he could come back. And when Ty Jean found out that he was headed that way, he moved heaven and earth to make sure that he is one of the, the very first destination spots that Raymond would visit. He arrived at this particular destination spot three days early just so that he wouldn't miss him. And when Raymond arrived, he arrived in a vehicle with a car's window halfway down and with his hand outside the window. And Ty Jean was one of the ones that walked up and started kissing his hand, smothering it in kisses. Well, he could only run so far before the driver noticed that someone was, was running alongside the car, stopped the car, opened the door. Raymond stepped out and Ty Jean dropped to his knees and started just covering his, his friend's feet with kisses. Raymond would have none of that and he lifted him up. And, but by that time that he did, there was a crowd that was gathering around. And by then, Ty Jean was turning to everyone who would listen. This is the one who purchased me. This is the one who purchased me. This is the one who purchased me. I tell you that story of Thanksgiving because, number one, it just amazes me when I see that kind of gratitude in anyone's heart for being purchased, being redeemed. But you know what would have made that story a little bit more poignant and a little bit more meaningful? It would have been at that moment if Raymond could have said, okay, yes, I purchased you, but you know what, Ty Jean? I'm adopting you into my family. Now, that didn't happen with Ty Jean, but it happened with me, and it happened with you. And what God's wondering is, is will you... Will you be a part of that family? Will you welcome him as father in your life? Because see, the promise of Scripture, the very word of God says this, there is coming a time when Jesus is going to come and split the clouds with his presence. And we will be invited to see the one who purchased us face to face. And I have a feeling for some of us, the most heartfelt worship you've ever experienced is going to happen in that moment. And maybe, just maybe, you too will be one of those driven almost to take his hand, his pierced hand, and to cover it in kisses. Maybe you'll be one of those driven almost, without almost choice, to go fall at his feet and cover him with kisses. And to say to anybody who will listen, this is the one who purchased me. This is the one who purchased me. But you, my friend, have the chance to also be able to say, this is the one who adopted that's what the Father's done for you. You may have thought that the beginning of this sermon was going to be about prayer. And really it is. And if you want to bow your heads when you pray, go ahead and do that. If you want to take two hours when you pray, take two hours. If you want to take ten minutes, take ten minutes. It doesn't matter. Because you're talking to your Father. Your Abba. And what matters to Father is, is that you just want to talk to Him. And I want to end with this. The question is, is, do you want to talk to him today? 
Is that what's on your heart today? Is that the relationship you have? If you want to have a good day for you, but if you want to make the best of days for our Heavenly Father, He's waiting for someone here today to say, yeah, I receive Him. I'm not sure, but I, I'll, I'll try that, Father. I'll try that, love. And if you want to receive Him today, we'll take you right back here and we'll do what one of His other children did in a muddy river one day, he, John the Baptist took Jesus and he placed him in some water and he raised him back up. And at that moment, the Spirit of God descended upon Jesus and he said, that's my boy. And I am so pleased. And I want you to know this. If you will do the same thing, if you'll receive his adoption into his life, you'll hear the same words. Father in heaven, we love you. Please come. And if you've brought this message to a particular heart today because you want to draw them into a relationship with you, you've made the first move. Help them make the second. Help them to believe. Help them to put aside the suspicions and the doubts and to believe you really could be the father that they've always dreamed of. Father, please, if you've helped, if you brought a brother or sister here of mine who've, who, yes, they've been immersed in Jesus' name, they've received the Spirit, but they've really not welcomed you to be their father. Savior, yes. Lord, yes, but not father. Not, not, that's too intimate, that's too close. Would you please help them take the next step in the process and help us gather around them and to pray for your healing to come so that some of their suspicion and some of their, their fears that they place on other people can be removed as well. And so that their, their hope can be full. Thank you so very much for offering us this opportunity. You've done this and we just want to say thank you in Jesus' name. Let's stand, church, and let's sing.